1: Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for our radio audience here in Mississippi, at WYAD, 94.1 FM, and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all could be with us. Also, tuning in to our online affiliates around the world, including our friends at Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. We're glad you all could be with us as well. Well, we're really excited to welcome Tim Bach into our program today. Tim's an author that people have gotten to love his books to discuss, and he also makes us look at things a little bit differently. The same is true with his new book that i I had a chance to read. It's called The Plea of Innocence, Restoring Truth to the American Justice System. We'll talk to Tim about the work he's been able to do and what it's been like for him to use his books as a platform to spark conversation and also change. If you guys have not heard about his book before, we'll let you know to get your own copy of it. Tim, thank you so much for the time today. really do appreciate it.
0: Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Uh, the pleasure is definitely on mine. Tim, I didn't get a chance to speak with you before we went on here, and I've heard your last name pronounced a couple ways. So before we get too into it, did I pronounce it correctly? Is it pronounced Bakken?
0: Yes, it is. Great. Thank you. Okay.
1: okay, good look. I know what it's like to have your day messed up, so I always like to make sure we get that right. <laughs> well, uh, well, the book literally just came out um, this month, uh, Tim, and perfect because it's National Book Month as well. This is a conversation, though, that you've been a part of for quite some time. What has it been like for you to use your platform as an author, Tim, to be able to get people to talk about what can be difficult topics, but in I think in an easier way?
0: As I've tried to think about how to exonerate innocent people who've been convicted or how to prevent them from being convicted, I've looked at two things that I think apply to all of us not only in the legal system but also in life. Number one is we have to try to find out what we actually believe. Sometimes that's very difficult for a lot of reasons, peer pressure, we can't speak up in our jobs and other reasons. But Let's say that we can identify what we believe. The second part is a challenge to us, and that is, are we willing to speak up? And that's as difficult as sometimes finding out what we believe. In the case with this book, The Plea of Innocence, and a prior book that you perhaps referenced, Cyrus, The Cost of Loyalty, I talked about how people try to avoid the truth sometimes, not only in the military, the cost of loyalty, and in the legal system, the plea of innocence. It's not necessarily because people are trying to do the wrong thing, but rather there is a culture that has surrounded people, and through that culture and through the norms that have developed, people do not understand how to search for truth. And I've tried to identify a few ways in which we can do that.
1: Uh, we had the, the case, I mean, it, the timing of this is, is just um, so amazing, uh, Tim. Of course, we had the the, the case with Edon this week uh, with the, the Baltimore judge, um, not only, of course, ordering his release, but then, of course, him being um, exonerated. You know, there there are so many things, I mean, so many times we hear about this. Here in my home state of Mississippi, you hear about individuals who unfortunately are, um, are you know, convicted of crimes they did not um, commit. Um, then years later, of course, the truth comes out this conversation though it, it's always it seems to be uncomfortable for some people uh Tim because when you're talking about the justice system of course you would hope as you even talk about in the book that that you know only the people who are guilty are the ones who end up you know being found guilty and that those who are innocent are found innocent but we don't unfortunately live in a world like that is that one of the frustrating things about the work that you've been able to do even outside of your books the fact that sometimes just being innocent is not enough.
0: That's very true. And one of the difficulties is that people are not willing or at least have not decided to start talking about innocent people and how many innocent people are actually convicted. That is, the, probably the most ri- reliable study from 2014 indicates that about 4% of the people who are actually convicted of crimes are actually innocent. Today in this country, and this is low for our country, but very high for other countries, we have about 1.7 million people imprisoned. If that study is reliable, and I believe it is, it was a study about people who had been sentenced to death, that means approximately 70,000 people are imprisoned today in the United States and every day, and they're actually innocent. We don't know that, of course, because they don't have An opportunity to prove their innocence and I talked about this and to most people even their defense lawyers and family and friends who will stand behind them but certainly to judges and juries they appear to be guilty it's a very chilling thing to know that you're innocent and of course all innocent people know they are innocent and not have anyone believe you or they may say they believe you but not really do anything to try to help you in our legal system Because we focus on adversarialness, once the prosecution issues charges, it's up to the defense to try to find innocence. That's very difficult to do, especially for people who do not have adequate resources. And that's almost everybody, from the poorest person to even fairly well-off people, will have difficulty finding enough resources to defend themselves. And many times people are in jail it's very difficult in that situation to go out and find the exonerating facts that would show that you are, in fact, innocent.
1: And I think that is what a book like this—it's—it's uh, it's timely, Tim. Unfortunately, um, well, or fortunately, you know, because I mean, we are seeing these cases. Like I said, as I just mentioned, with the one case um, where an individual, you know, spends, you know, a couple of decades of their life, mm-hmm. you know, behind bars, um, and you know, have always, you know, sit, you know, talked about their innocence, and then, of course, um, you know, finally. Uh, being able to see justice but there are even as you talk about in the book there are different reasons sometimes it is human error right sometimes you know there are things that happen and then of course like in the case like what we're talking about i was talking about you know science sometimes does help but these are conversations that are as I mentioned can be difficult to have Tim but you have not shied away from them you mentioned of course your previous book definitely a book that you know had people talking what What is it that helps you to do this? Because this is not easy work that you're doing, even in writing these books and doing the research. What is it that makes you feel almost compelled to do it?
0: I don't know that it's any particular characteristic that I have. It might be my experiences in life. I came from a small town in Wisconsin, and you kind of have to push yourself to move out of a small town and develop other opportunities. And along the way, as we develop opportunities, we see a lot of things. And when we see those things, we have an opportunity at some point to recognize what's happening. And then if we do recognize what's happening, we have to decide whether we're going to speak up. I don't know that there's a particular characteristic inside of people that helps them learn how to speak up or tells them to remain silent what I do know is that most people are not willing to speak up for a lot of very understandable reasons. In the workplace, they don't want to lose their jobs by pointing out something that might be wrong. In the public, they don't want to be criticized and ostracized from their social group. So it's very difficult in some instances to speak up because you don't know like the innocent person who's going to be beside you. We don't know who will be our allies, but the way I've looked at it is that because I work in education and the goal of education is to produce knowledge and try to find the truth, and that's not to presume that any of us knows the truth or will ever have special access to truth, but it is to say that we certainly can try to find a way to create more correct jury verdicts, because it's those jury verdicts that lead to innocent people being convicted. There's one asterisk beside that also. Uh, What people don't understand sometimes is that in this adversarial legal system, there are a lot of people, probably about 15% of the people who are actually innocent, that we know plead guilty. They plead guilty even knowing that they're innocent. And one main reason for that is that we have very serious prison sentences and a lot of states still have the death penalty. And to avoid those serious prison sentences and the death penalty, people who are innocent will plead guilty because they want to avoid something very terrible happening to them and they're willing to accept a lesser sentence, which in the United States turns out to be a very severe sentence compared to other western countries.
1: Right. This is a conversation that unfortunately is not new tim, but uh, with all the advancements that we've made, one thing I thought about with this book that does kind of and I'm an optimistic person without mm-hmm. a doubt, but mm-hmm. but one thing that kind of <laughs> kind of is depressing is the fact that it does not seem like we're getting any better at this. We get better at a lot of things, <laughs> but we don't seem to be getting I mean even with the technology and things that are out there, does that surprise true. you?
0: It does not surprise me. And okay. the reason it does not is that the main reason for wrongful convictions, why innocent people are convicted is human error, not because of faulty science or a lack of procedures. We have a lot of procedures in this country that are mandated by the Constitution. People think that science will help us. Research shows, including mine, only about 1% at most of the cases ever involve DNA testing. Go back to 1932. The reasons that we have for innocent person convictions were identified in 19. 19- 32, And everybody agrees that they're the same reasons today. There's no dispute on this. And the reasons are, and as we listen to them, think about how they really emanate from human error, not from procedures or a lack of procedures or from science or a lack of science. And here they are, it, it, basically in this order. One is witness misidentification. A witness identifies the wrong person. Second, people plead Uh, guilty when they're not guilty, as I said, and one reason they do that is that they have confessed to a crime they didn't commit. In addition, a third reason is that prosecutors and police officers make errors, and sometimes they engage in misconduct. Another reason is that witnesses lie, including witnesses who are cooperating with the prosecution, and still another reason is that defense attorneys make errors, just like everybody, and Inherent in all of that is a lack of resources for a person who claims to be innocent. Let me give just one example to try to make it a little bit more concrete. Imagine that we go to a donut shop, or I go to a donut shop tonight at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon after work, and I want to grab a donut. And then I go on my way, and I make my way, let's say I'm walking somewhere, and I go about my business. The next day a police officer comes to my residence or to my workplace and asks me, where were you last night at about 5 o'clock? The first thing I should think is, well, I want to tell a police officer everything I know, but I should probably be silent because if I tell the truth, I was at the donut shop at about 5 o'clock last night. What I don't know is that the police officer knows that somebody at the donut shop, maybe the clerk, said that she was robbed last night at about 5 o'clock or 5.05. And it, of course, wasn't uh, I who did it, but my admission that I was there about 5 o'clock connects me to that situation. And if I also am identified by somebody as having been the robber, it's very likely I'll be convicted. The only way that I will escape conviction in that instance is not through DNA testing, It's not through having extra procedures. All the procedures were done, and the witness identified me as a robber. But I have to go out and find somebody who saw me walking on the street in my neighborhood at about 5.05 and can say that because the crime occurred at 5.05, I wasn't the person who did it. But if I don't have any resources, and as I said, almost nobody has adequate resources except the most wealthy people, and I'm in jail pending my trial, I can't go out and look for the alibi witnesses that would show that I'm innocent. Yes, defense lawyers can try to do this, but the reality is that most defense lawyers are focused on argumentation during trial, and they're not great investigators. And even while somebody who's without resources has a constitutional right to have an investigator work for him or her, that is a very tenuous situation because those investigators don't have the authority and the resources and they don't know the witnesses the way the police and prosecutors do that's a situation uh, where i went to the donut shop and i'm very likely to be convicted if i admit that i was there and it will be very difficult for me to scour the neighborhood and try to find somebody who saw me walking at exactly 505 in the afternoon
1: yeah, it's a great example, and you know, it's, I think it's one of those things, unfortunately, that so many people who may be in our listening area, uh, Tim, definitely can understand and relate to. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're excited to welcome Tim Bach into our program today. Tim's celebrating his newest book called The Plea of Innocence. The subtitle of the book is important to restoring truth to the American justice system. Some people would say after reading this book, Tim, the T word could be replaced with trust. I think there, it it is it has really amazed me in my life, and I'm only 47. How much the way people look at police, look at the justice system, think about justice has changed. When I was growing up, I was told Tim that if you were not doing anything wrong, the police are your friend. You know, you don't have to you know worry about you know the the police. A lot of people now my age don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> we mm-hmm. do not feel mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, so it, it is a very interesting time. I thought about that, the issue of trust uh, and, and truth, reading this book. What was mm. that like for you to think about that? Uh, is, you know, that, that the reasons you show in the book are exactly why so many people do not trust the American justice system. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting that you use trust as a replacement for truth or synonymous with truth. Because, in a way, uh, they're both correct terms, I think. But what happens in our system is that we learn, perhaps, some people in some neighborhoods, not all people in all neighborhoods, not to trust the police or prosecutors because we see incorrect results. There are certainly police and prosecutors who are, to say the least, are uncaring, But there are also police and prosecutors who don't care about whether they make mistakes because their focus is on obtaining enough evidence to arrest somebody, probable cause, and to prosecute that person. They might not have too much concern about whether they're arresting an innocent person because they feel they've done their duty if they've acquired enough evidence to give them probable cause to arrest somebody. What I'm saying, and I think what a lot of people would say, is that I can't trust that police officer or that system because it leads to incorrect results. The reason why innocent people are convicted and that there's an incorrect jury verdict and that police and prosecutors believe they committed a crime at base is that the innocent person cannot find the exonerating evidence to show that he is indeed innocent. And then when somebody says, like my walking through the neighborhood at five Oh five and the police grab me, that I'm not the person who did it. And I'm in jail while I'm awaiting trial. I don't have any means to go out and try to find the evidence that would show that I'm innocent. I go to the police, and they say, go to your defense attorney. I call the prosecution, and the prosecution says the defense system is privatized. You either have a public defender or go out and spend what money you have and hire a defense attorney to try to help you. It's not my obligation to try to find truth. What I'm arguing. And I don't even know that it's an argument anymore, Cyrus. I think it's more accurately characterized by you when you say that it's a lack of trust. For me, it's a lack of trust in the process, in the cases where somebody is innocent. And it's not only cases where people are innocent. There are also cases where people are arrested and they're charged with a more serious offense than the one they actually committed. Those people are actually innocent of the more serious offense, but yet they're drawn into the criminal legal system because the prosecutors and police are trying to obtain the more serious offense in the first place to induce a guilty plea. And as I mentioned, we know about 15% of the people who are actually innocent pleaded guilty while knowing they were innocent.
1: Such an important conversation, Tim, and it's one that you have been able to have through books like this that I think are so important. Again, everyone, Tim Botkin has been our guest. If you have not read his book, The Cost of Loyalty, I definitely advise you to to pick it up. It's, again, very timely. Uh, to what we're seeing right now uh, in the world, as is The Plea of Innocence. I should mention The Plea of Innocence because it is National Book Month. It's already a number one new release. at the top 100 seller on Amazon. You can also get it, of course, through your favorite local bookstore. If they don't have it, I know they'd be glad to order it for you. Tim, I appreciate you stopping by. How can our audience stay connected with you?
0: I'm on social media, Cyrus. Thank you, on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and also um, I can be uh, reached through the New York University Press, which published the book.
1: All right. Well, Tim, really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back. We'd love to speak with you again.
0: Cyrus, thanks very much. I appreciate your taking the time to speak about the important issues.
1: Hey, my pleasure. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. thing as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Now let's go make today amazing. Take care.